So we're going to read through Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, the last time I spoke, which was a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage and uh, looked at the vast majority of the passage and what Jesus was saying about not worrying about things. Um, We saw that it wasn't in a kind of, um, oh, don't worry, be happy kind of way, every little thing is going to be all right, and various other songs that we all sang. Um, But no matter what life may bring, that we can trust in a sovereign God who loves us and who cares for us and who has plans and purposes for our lives which are good. And this week, I want to focus on the verse that I didn't really touch on very much last time, which is verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I guess it's been, a, it's been encouraging this morning because it's been a theme of the meeting uh, even the songs we've been singing, the testimonies that have been brought, uh, the words that God has given us. He's saying, God's saying, seek me and I will bless you. I will give you all these things. I will give you the houses uh, that you need. I will give you the food that you need. I will give you uh, healing. I will give you different things. And obviously there's no absolute cast iron guarantee. We saw that last time. Things might go wrong as well as right. But God is encouraging us this morning. Seek me first. Get rid of the clutter. Open your eyes. I'm going to open your eyes to seek me first. I guess those verses could be summed up in two words. That verse could be summed up in two words. God first. God first. And the Bible is all about God's relationship with his people. Whether it's the Israelites in the Old Testament or whether it's the church in the New Testament. And uh, so much of the Bible, of course, tells us about God's great love for us, what God has done in drawing us near, uh, culminating in the ultimate act of love, really, Jesus' death on the cross, which brings us forgiveness for our sins, and uh, resurrection from the dead, which brings us the promise of new and eternal life. But um, that's what God has done for us. But today we're looking at, well, what is God saying to us? What is our response to God from this? Any relationship is a two-way thing, isn't it? If you pour out love on someone, actually you expect a response. There's a response that comes from them. Um, A husband and wife, they love each other. They respond to each other's love. It's a wonderful thing. Actually, if there is no response, which obviously sadly is the case with some 
marriages, if there's no response, that's tragic. It's terrible. A, a situation where you get the wife who is cooking the food, doing all the cleaning in the house, looking after the children, going out getting jobs, part-time jobs where she can to earn the money. And the husband uh, who is just sitting there watching TV, doing nothing. And the wife saying, no, but I love you. I'm doing all these things for, to love you. And the husband going, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just off down the pub. It's nice that you love me. I'm in the benefit of all that you're doing. But actually, my response is just, I'm just going to do my own thing. How tragic that is. And how tragic it would be if that is the response of us as God's people to his amazing love. You know, we can't earn God's love. He pours it out on us absolutely freely. And if our response is just, oh, yeah, very nice, great. I'll just have that. I'll take that. I'll take that. And then I'll go off and do my own thing. How tragic that is. The response that God is looking for all the way through the Bible is to put him first. God first in our lives. And right the way through the Bible, it's the message that comes out. And I could give you lots of examples. Uh, I'll just give you a couple. Um, Right from in Exodus chapter 20, the very first of the Ten Commandments um, in Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't put any other God before me. In other words, God first. God first. Right the way through, we can see uh, this th- throughout the Bible, and we can see examples of where uh, people do put God first, like the Macedonians, it's, as referred to in 2 Corinthians. Paul commends the Macedonians for putting God first. Right the way through to Revelation, where, uh, where the Spirit of God is speaking to the Ephesian church and saying, you know, you've lost your first love. You've stopped putting me first. And that's the question that God is putting to us today. And actually, God is he's not just challenging us. He's not putting out a question. He's not condemning us. He's encouraging us this morning. He's saying, put me first. Put me first, and I will do amazing things. I'll do surprising things. You'll just think you're getting a little box with a few kittens. And then, wow, a tiger. Put me first. And just see what I will do in your life. Just see what will happen. And there's questions and there's challenge this morning from God. Does God come first in our life? Or does our work hold the supreme place? Is it God first? Or is it pleasure? God first? Or money? And what about family? Or loved ones? Do they come first? Or does God In this passage, Jesus has been talking about money and clothes and life and the worries that people have about those things. And he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. All these things about life that you could look to. But no, put those aside. Put me first. Seek first my kingdom and you'll have these things as well. I will provide. I am your father. So let's look more into this verse. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's his kingship. It's God's rule. It's God's authority in the lives of his people. And where do we find it? Where do we find this kingdom? Well, the disciples, 
thought that it was going to be some physical place on earth where Jesus established himself as, as king and he ruled over the Jews. We see that in Acts 1, don't we? Um, when the disciples say in verse 6, uh, they say to him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They'd heard Jesus talking about his kingdom. They thought, oh, right, it's his, his kingdom in Israel. It's ruling over the Jews. Jesus is going to be the, the king, right? People are going to see that. He's going to reign uh, instead of the Romans, maybe. Um, yeah, is that what you're going to do now, Jesus? Jesus said, no, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. He says, the power of, of God isn't going to come in a physical, earthly kingdom. He says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, that's where the kingdom's coming. That's where the power is. It's not the power of a kingly rule. It's the power that you will receive in you, yourself, when the Holy Spirit comes. That's where God's kingdom is. If we're looking for God's kingdom, where is God's kingdom establishing itself? Well, it's establishing itself in us, in our hearts. That's where the kingdom is coming. Mark encourages us, sorry, Jesus encourages us to receive it in Mark uh, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and uh, verse 15, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms and put his hands on them and he blessed them. We're to receive the kingdom of God like children into our lives, trusting in God, not deciding we know best, no, no, dependent, God first. To enter into this future realm of the kingdom, we've got to submit ourselves to God's rule, like children. Just thinking, actually, we don't know it all. And we're putting God first. So how do we seek the kingdom? How do we seek and enter the kingdom of God? You might be asking that question if you've never known God before. You might be sitting here today and saying, actually, you know, I wanted to find out what Christianity is all about. So what is it all about? Well, actually, this is what it's all about. This is what it's about. It's about understanding what God has done for us through Jesus. And then seeking God's kingdom for ourselves, entering in. In other words, it's basically about making a decision. It's about making a decision in our life. Romans 10 and verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe it, and actually then you, and you say it, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Jesus is ruling. Jesus is king. Jesus is in charge. God first. God first. You will be saved. Jesus' message that he preached again and again was this. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Think, well, what, you know, what, what was it that Jesus came? What was it he preached? It tells us. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was his message. That was his message. Whenever he stood up, that was his message. He might have... Padded it out in different ways, but that's really what it amounted to. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. 
Turn around. Put yourself into reverse. Embrace the kingdom of God. Start to put God first. I mean, it's a big decision, isn't it? It's a big decision. It's an important decision. Yeah, life's made up of decisions, isn't it? Lots of decisions that we have in our life. And those decisions actually can affect the whole of our life. You know, some decisions that we make might seem kind of just random. Might think, well, can choose one of these or the other one. I'm not sure which is best. But there can be big consequences. I don't know if you've watched the, uh, the, the latest Anton Deck stroke Simon Cowell thing, red or black. You know, in the end of it, you get one person. They have to make a decision. They have to make a decision based on a roulette wheel. Total chance. Red or black. If they get it right, they win a million pounds. If they get it wrong, they win nothing. One decision. That decision could change the rest of that person's life. One decision, red or black. But it's random. How can we know? It's just out of thin air. There's other decisions, though, where we do have some idea, where we can consciously make a choice. And, and they affect our lives just as much. Big decisions, too. Who are you going to choose to be friends with? Who are you going to choose to spend time with? What will you do with your time? How will you spend your life? What job will you have? What university course will you choose? Who will you marry? Big decisions that will affect much of the rest of your life. But the biggest decision of all is before us today. How will we respond to God's love? How do we respond to God's love as he's shown it to us? As we've understood it, oh God, oh I was lost without you. I'm, I'm in sin. I can't come to know you. But you've shown your love for us by sending your son to die and be punished in my place. And be forgiven so that I can receive new life. And then God's saying, okay, that's what I've done. What are you going to do? What's your response? Is it going to be God first? Or is it going to be other things first? Will we run after the things that everyone else runs after and worry about those things? Or will we say, no, I'm going to choose God first. God doesn't ask us to be good enough to receive his love. Jesus was good enough for us. God's kingdom only makes us one demand. Repent, turn around, make a decision. Put me first, receive the kingdom. I'll pour my spirit out into you. As you receive it, you'll receive the life of the kingdom. You'll receive its blessings. And you'll receive the eternal life that is reserved for those who embrace it. Put God first. It's a big decision. And it's an urgent decision. Luke chapter 9 shows us that Jesus talked about this. Luke chapter 9 and verse 59. He said to another man, Jesus said to another man, follow me. Put me first, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Seems, seems harsh. Follow me. No, but let me bury my father first. Well, 
it, potentially Jesus wasn't, it, the situation wasn't that the man had died and like the funeral was that day. It could well have been that it was the, man was, the man's father was old. Yeah, I'll follow you, but my dad's old, he's, he's frail. When he's died, I won't have any ties left anymore. Then I'll follow you. Then I'll be free to follow you. Jesus is saying, no, don't put it off. Don't put it off and come up with other things first. Wait for other things to happen. Don't think, oh, well, first of all, I will follow God. I will follow Jesus. I, I actually believe it. But first of all, I'm going to follow my, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy myself a bit. You know, I'm at university now. Surely everyone else is going out clubbing and, and whatever. Lots of different boyfriends, girlfriends. Surely this is the time of life to enjoy that. And, and then after that, I'll follow Jesus. After that, you know, I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait till I've got my career established. I really need to concentrate on that first. I'll wait until I'm married. I'll wait until my family have come round to it and they'll understand a little bit more. They won't be antagonistic about it. Jesus says, no. No. The response is to be now. No excuses. It goes on in, in, in this passage in Luke. Still another said, I will follow you, uh, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replies, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the, in the kingdom of God. Yeah, don't try and cling on to the past. Don't look back. Don't look back to what your life was life. Don't just say, oh, well, actually, you know, one last fling. One last moment before I give myself to God. No, don't look back. Jesus is looking for a radical response to his love. For us to enthusiastically embrace all that he has to offer. It's a big decision. It's an urgent decision. It's a costly decision. Luke chapter 18. We get the rich ruler. A certain ruler, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. Don't, you, know, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus said this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And it says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked and he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, it's costly. It's costly. Now, Jesus isn't saying to us, follow me and you have to give up all your wealth. That's not the criteria. It's not like sell all that you have and give to the poor and then you can follow me. But we have to in our hearts, we have to say, actually, God, I'd be prepared to give anything for you. I'd be prepared. You know, I don't see it as important anymore. And actually, I'm not going to put my trust in this wealth anymore. Whereas I was thinking, I've got enough money here. That, my life is sorted. No, no. I'm not going to put my trust in that wealth. If I have it, great. If I don't have it, doesn't matter because my security is in God and I'm putting my trust in him and I can leave all that behind. It can be a costly decision. But fear can get in. It's like he was saying, like Jesus was saying in this passage in Matthew, we can worry. What am I going to do? In that case, what am I going to do? Where am I going to live? What am I going to eat? Sell everything I have, including my house? What? Where? Jesus is saying, trust in me. 
put me first, and all these things will be given to you as well. You won't lose out. But put me first. Get rid of that. Put me first. Putting God first is potentially costly to family life. Matthew 10 and verse 34. Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. And anyone who doesn't take his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Costly decision. Costly to family life. Bringing conflict in family life. Mothers and fathers not understanding the decisions that we're making. Husbands and wives who are unsaved not understanding. Thinking, hang on, I thought I was first in your life and now it seems that God's first. There's a jealousy that comes in. There's conflict. And it could just seem as though you've made enemies out of your own family. And, and the temptation is there, isn't it? The temptation is there to say, well, look, you know, I just, I just need to be careful. I just need to be careful how much I give myself to God. I'm going to, you know, I can't really be just going out to church every Sunday, surely, and, and core groups and oh, prayer meetings certainly aren't going to happen because I know my, my, my husband isn't going to like that. In fact, actually, some people might even say, well, actually, you know, I know God now in my life, but I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to come to church. I'm not going to get involved at all in God's people because I want to win my, my wife. I want to win my husband. You know, God's going to understand that, surely. The decisions that I'm making aren't because I'm not putting God first. It's, it's because I want to win them to Christ. I, wa- I don't want to put them off. And they're worried about what might happen. And it sounds feasible, doesn't it? It sounds wise in some ways. But it's the wrong way around. Because it's not God's wisdom. Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. Put me first. There will be conflict that comes. There will be discord. There will be problems. But if you seek me first, I'll bring these things about. You'll get these things as well. Don't worry. Don't worry about your family. Put me first. Give yourself to me. I'll sort that out. Give yourself to me first. It may even, as we've seen in this passage in, uh, we've just read, it may even cost us our lives. If anyone doesn't take up his cross, he's not worthy of me. Take up your cross. And people have often used that phrase, haven't they, to, to, to mean all sorts of things. You know, oh, you know, I've, I've got really bad bunions, but we've all got our cross to bear. No, God's not talking about your bunions. He's not, he's not talking about your aches and pains that you're going through. He's not talking about your family. He's not talking about your husband or wife. He's not, he's not talking about any of those things. He's talking about being prepared to die. Take, that's what Jesus did. He took up his cross and he died because he put God's first. 
He put his father first. In the garden of Gethsemane, he said, is there any other way? Ah, no, but I'm putting you first. Not my will, your will. I'm putting you first. I'm taking up my cross. I'm going to die. And then all these things came. He was raised to life. He ascended to the Father's throne. He won for God a people, the church. All these things were added, but Jesus had to say no. God first. Not my will, your will. Who knows whether we will be called upon to die? Who knows whether we will have to die for the sake of Christ? But Jesus says we must be ready for it. Ready to take up our cross. So seeking God's kingdom is no small thing. It involves making a decision, an urgent decision, a costly decision. The biggest decision that we can make. And what does it mean to seek God's righteousness? Seek first my kingdom, the kingdom of God, and my righteousness, his righteousness. Well, first of all, it means accepting that we can't be right before God because of what we do. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about how good we are. You know, people often think, well, I'm, I'm quite a good person. You know, surely I can, I, can, I can be good and I can do the right things and I can be kind to people and, and then God will accept me. No. The Bible tells us we can't. We're all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. It's not about accepting our righteousness or promoting ourselves. It's seeking God's righteousness. It's what Jesus did. The Pharisees were the ones who tried to be righteous themselves, and Jesus dismissed them time and again in the Gospels. It's the righteousness that Christ displayed in his life on earth. Only he was sinless. Only he was acceptable before God. And if we put ourselves first, that's the wrong way around. But if we put God first, we'll see, we'll understand that his death on the cross involved God's anger being poured out on Jesus for our sin. And he took the punishment. So seeking the righteousness of God involves God's pardon for our past sin. Him declaring us righteous. But more than that, it includes our sanctification. Or uh, another way of saying that is to look to God to make us more Christ-like. To make us more holy. To make us more like Jesus in our day-to-day lives. And God gives us the power to do it. Remember, Jesus said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will be poured out upon you so, your, so my kingdom is coming in you. It's God's Spirit that gives us the power to put him first and to live our lives more and more, seeking his goodness. And that's what God is encouraging us to do because he's got so much more to give us. So finally, let's try and ground this. What does it mean? What does it look like practically? There's always the danger in giving examples that people can just think, oh, he's having a go at me. But there's always a danger if you don't give examples. People go, oh, that was nice. (laughs) It doesn't touch them at all. So what does it look like practically? Any number of things, but, but let's have a think. It means that all the decisions that we make really are affected by that. God's kingdom, God comes first in every situation of our lives. It's no good at just being practical. It's no good being like the husband who I was talking about earlier, whose wife was just doing everything for him and and saying, but I love you, and him just going, yeah, I love you too. And just still sitting there on the couch, just going down the pub, not lifting a finger to help, not doing anything to show love. Oh, I love you. 
I told you I loved you. It's not about lip service. It's practical. So how's that outworked? Well, it's about putting God first in terms of any number of areas of our life. God first in our time. How, how much time do we give to God? When we look at our diaries, how much time do we put aside to spend with God? Is it a priority? How much time do we spend with God's people, the church? Is it a priority? Do we work other things around those priorities then? Or do we go along to the things that God's doing in the church that, uh, if there's nothing else on? If no one's asked us to go anywhere else? Arnold touched on this last week, didn't he? It's interesting how the end of Arnold's message last week ties in very much with what God's speaking to us about this week. And Arnold gave the example of, uh, of football, didn't he? And uh, he, he was saying, it's quite safe. He said, because there's no big football matches on. I pointed out to him later on, he was unaware that uh, last Friday when it was the Premier meeting was the England-Montenegro football game. Um, and uh, this coming Sunday next week is the Sheffield United-Sheffield Wednesday game at convenient lunchtime. So, oh, no, you know, so <laughs> maybe it wasn't as uh, unreal an example as Arnold thought. But other things. You, I mean, we can think, oh, well, yeah, well that's all right. I'll just go in the afternoon. There's two meetings out there. There's the afternoon meeting in Shackleford. I'll just go along to that. That's not putting God first. That's squeezing God in around another priority. It's making sure God doesn't get pushed out altogether. But it's not God first. What about other things to do with time? You know, if there's a, if there's a stag do that gets around. These days, stag do's aren't evenings, are they? They're stag weekends. What if we've been invited to a stag weekend that goes all Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night? Well, what, what's our response? Do we, do we say, oh, I, I, I'll be there. I'll be there for the first bit, but actually I need to get back for the Sunday because I, I do want to spend time with God's people. I want to be at church. Or do we think, no, I'm worried about that. I can't say that because I'm worried. Because what about my friends? And they're, and they're, and they're not saved, presumably. Um, and, and, they, and they... Um, and they they might just think, well, what's that about? So I, I, I need to show my commitment to them by, by being there first. No. Jesus says, don't worry about these things. All these things will be added to you. Put me first. God first. And, and is it God first in how we choose to, to spend our money and use our money? Or do we worry about it? Do we worry that if we give to God, especially if we give to God first, especially if our, if our wages come in and we think, right, this amount we're going to give to God. Is the worry there, oh, well, I wonder what's going to be left at the end. Well, am I going to have enough at the end of the month? Do we think, I'll tell you what, I'll have the intention of giving to God. I will give to God, but I'll give whatever's left at the end. At the end of the month, just before my pay packet, right, this amount's left, right, that's God's. The Bible says God first. And we don't follow the tithe and things like that. Um, not because we don't think people should give. Actually, because God says it's, it's about more than that. It's about, God speaks about generosity in the Old Testament. And so we'd love to give to God. It's part of our worship. There's no compulsion. We don't check up on anyone. But God's saying, you know, are you going to put me first in this area of your life? Or are you going to worry about money? And not trust in me. 
Put me first. You'll have enough. I will give to you. Do our children know that, we, that it's God first in the decisions that we make? Do we show them the importance of that in practical ways? What happens when they say, oh, well, I've got this. My friend's got a birthday party on Sunday. On Sunday. I want to go to that. What do we do? Are we fearful? Are we worried? Oh, you know, if we say, no, it's church. Are we worried that, our, oh, no, our kids are going to resent us? Oh, no, I, I better let them go. I'll let them make a choice. What do you want to do? Do you want to go to the party or do you want to go to church? Or are we going to lead in this? Are we going to model something? Obviously, at some point, they've got to make decisions for themselves. But we need to model it. But don't worry. Don't worry that they're going to resent God. Put God first. Do we take seriously God's design for us to have a day of rest? Or is it actually work first when it comes down to it? Is it work first when we've got an exam the next day? Do we think, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll not work on Sunday apart from if I've got an exam coming up. And then I'm really worried that if I don't, if I don't revise, I'm going to fail this exam. So I need to put my work first on this day. God says, no, seek me first. You'll have these things as well. Or, or, or maybe a deadline that we've got to complete or a job interview. I need to prepare for it. It's, it's easy to admire Christian sportsmen and women, isn't it, for not competing on a Sunday. There was another one the other day that was, that was put on Facebook, and, and, and people were like, oh, fantastic, this guy's really standing up. He's saying he's not going to play sport on a Sunday. Fantastic. It's easy to do. What about for us? Or are we just worried about the things of our life? And we can, we can think, hang on, Mark, this is legalism. No, none of these things will make us acceptable to God. Legalism is saying, do all these things and God will be pleased with you. Do all these things and you will be acceptable to God. God will accept you. And if you, if you don't do them, God will not accept you. No, we are totally and utterly accepted on the basis of what Jesus did, on his righteousness, not ours. It's not about what we do to gain acceptance from God. This is a response to God's grace. You say, well, aren't we free to do all these things now? Yeah, you are free to do all of these things. You will not be rejected by God. But what God is saying this morning is, are you taking seriously what I have said about putting me first? Are we going to accuse Jesus of being legalistic when he said, seek first the kingdom of God? It's about grace. And grace doesn't mean we just ignore what God wants for our lives. Grace doesn't mean we do what we please. Grace doesn't mean we accept his love and sit on the sofa and go, fantastic, I'm loved by God. Let's go down the pub. I'm secure. You're secure. You're secure. Is that our response to grace? If we feel it's a pressure, if we feel, oh no, now we have to do this and we have to do that, I would suggest we've not understood God's grace. We've not understood his love. We've not understood what he's done for us. That we're totally forgiven. We're totally accepted. And we've not understood that God is saying, and I will give you all these things as well. It's not like he's saying, forget all that. Just look to me. I'm enough. God is enough. But he's saying, and all these things. All these things will be added to you as well. 
You know, we can be so fearful that putting God first will mean our family will reject us. It'll mean we'll have no friends. It'll mean we'll fail our exams. It'll mean we won't get the job interview. It'll mean our sports team won't pick us again because we've not played on that day. It'll mean we won't have any money. We can worry about all of those things. But God says, put me first and I will pour out my blessings. You will have all these things and more. Stephen Stella gave testimony this morning about how they sought God. And he gave them so much more than they, than they imagined. I remember when I was working for a, an organization, Tear Fund, a Christian organization. It was a great job. Great job. I got to travel the country. I got to travel the world. I got a company car. I got paid well. It was fantastic. And then God said, I want you to get involved with local kids in your local area, in some of the poorer areas of Sheffield, I want you to start a kids' club. And I thought, I can't do both. I'm never here in Sheffield. I can't do both. And so I, I, I made the decision. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to do that. And, and people said, well, well, what are you going to do for a job? I said, I don't know. I might have to go back to supply teaching. Well, what about your car? You, you had a car before. You won't have a car now. Yeah, I don't know. I'll put God first. Made a decision. And then within weeks, I got offered a job working for the church. I hadn't gone into it with an angle of getting a job for the church. But, oh, will you come and work for the church? Will you do this? Okay. And, 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 then, and then a car. And then from that point, we were given and still are being given a new car every three years, paid for, not by us. Someone just blessing us. I want to give you a car every three years. Wow. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your house. Don't worry your salary's dropped. Don't worry about your car. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. You'll get them. Because God loves us. He knows what we need. He knows what we need. Let's, I just urge us, brothers and sisters, God is, these can be hard things to hear, but God is wanting so much more for us. God's speaking to us about some serious things, but he's saying, come on. You, you know, I'm pleased with you, but give yourselves fully to me. Don't compromise. Don't just try and work it out otherwise. There's a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and, and this is about King Asa. And it says, in his 36th year, King Asa, sorry, Basha, I'm going to call him Basha because I think it's a great name. It's probably Basha, but we'll call him Basha. Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and, and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone leaving or entering the territory of King, of king Asa. So this, this other king is like oppressing them. They, they, they're, they're surrounded. They're, they're stuck. And Asa thinks, well, what shall I do? And what he does, you can read about it in these ver- coming verses, he takes the silver and gold out of God's temple and he, he sends it to another king, the king of Aram, uh, called Ben-Hadad. And he says, look, here's a bit of a sweetener. Here's some money. Uh, here's some treasure. He says, look, I tell you what, can you switch sides? Can you switch to my side and not to Basha's side? And, and he goes, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take this. I'll switch to your side. And, he, and this king, Ben-Hadad, then 
goes and starts to, starts to conquer other towns in Israel. And uh, so Basha sees this and he goes, oh, no, I thought he was on my side. He's not on my side anymore. Right, oh, I'll stop. I'll stop oppressing uh, King Asa. So he stops doing that um, and he abandons his work. And so Asa then goes and he gets all the men of Judah and they carry away all the stones and timber and they build up their own place. And it, it looks as though it's gone well. It looks, this is a good outcome. You know, they were being oppressed and now the enemy is gone. And, and people would have probably looked and gone, oh, good old King Asa. Fantastic job. And then Hanai comes, the seer. And he comes to the king and he says, because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. So obviously, this was another enemy of, of, of Asa. And he's kind of sweetened them up a bit for now, temporarily. But, but he's not trusted in God. And he said, well, this army's escaped. And he, he reminds him, he says, we're not the Cushites and the Libyans, a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. So he's saying, he's saying, uh, you know, basically he goes on and says it actually in verse 9. You've done a foolish thing. From now on, you will be at war. He's worked it out. He's, he's, he's worried about this situation. He's worked it all himself, but he's not trusted in God. In fact, he's used some of God's stuff to get this other king on side. And, and Hanai's saying, you're going to be at war now. It's a foolish thing you've done. Trust in God. He would have delivered you from all the enemies. And now you've got this enemy left. And you're always going to be at war now. You're not going to have it as good as you would. You've settled for second best. And he says in verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to his. The eyes of God are looking all over the earth and they're saying, Who is putting me first? Who are the ones in my church who are my people who are saying, I'm giving it all to God? It's God first. Not all this other stuff. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm putting God first. And he says, I'm looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to me. God's eyes are still looking. They're still looking this morning. They're looking here. Who is going to seek God's kingdom first? And his righteousness. Who's going to live out God first? Not because their arms are twisted. Because they've understood the grace that God has poured out on us. And they've said, actually, yeah. There's no other place to put my trust other than God. And he's first in my life. And I might not understand it. And there might be times when I fear this, that, or the other. But I'm going to trust in God. And trust that he will give us all of these things and more. Which we've turned our backs on. Let's pray.